0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 98, with Vicki Robin, author of Your Money or Your Life.
1: Clearing your mind, getting rid of your debt, having savings. And for a lot of people, you know, just like getting $100,000, I mean, that's like impossible in most people's minds. And $100,000 at 4% interest is not going to be financial independence, but it frees you to reset your life.
2: It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is
0: the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench, and I'm here with my co-host, Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy?
3: I'm doing so well, Scott. I'm <laughs> so excited for today's episode. It is with Vicki Robin. I don't know if you've heard of her. She wrote this little book called Your Money or Your Life. Did she say it published in 1992? And it went on to sell... I don't think this is correct. I think her publisher is maybe not sharing accurate numbers. It went on to sell 600,000 copies. But I swear, I know 600,000 people who have read this book.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's clearly a dominant force in the, the relationship with money and using money and in passive income and just fueling financial independence and living a lifestyle of your dreams. Like It's just a foundational work in this world that we live in, in the financial independence community. If you haven't checked it out, it's absolutely a must read. It's one of the several books on the subject <laughs> to, go, to go and figure this out.
3: Yes. Yes. And I'm going to stop you right there. And I'm going to stop everybody who's listening and say if you have not read Your Money or Your Life, you need to pick it up at your local library, pick it up at the bookstore, order it on Amazon right now. You need to read this book. You need the information that's in there. It's just so well, at the time, it was groundbreaking when it came out. She got on Oprah. And it's it's groundbreaking in that it will absolutely change your life about money. If you've already read the book, get a copy and give it to somebody who needs to read the book because it will change your life. It will change their life to read this book and understand, oh, that's what I could be doing with myself. Instead of just plodding along at work, pushing papers back to the next guy over and over again, eight hours a day. What is it? Like stamping out widgets. It will change the way that you look at everything.
0: Absolutely. And she's just a pioneer, incredibly smart and thoughtful and intentional about how she does things. And I think you're gonna pick that up in our interview with her today when you hear about the life choices that she made versus those that were available to her and those that her peers made and kind of where that directed her over the course of life intentionally to where she is today, having changed millions of lives and and really making an impact on the community.
3: Yeah. And you know what I thought was really interesting is she said that your money or your life isn't a finance book. You know what? It's like seven different books all wrapped up in one. It's a book about finances. It's a book about you know living intentionally. It's a book about your community. It's a book about building the life that you want. And when you take money out of the equation, your whole life opens up and you can literally do anything you want because you're not worried about putting food on the table you're not worried about your car payment or your house payment or you know hopefully you don't have those you know when you fix all your finances when you come financially independent when you become financially independent it isn't about retiring it's about living your best life
4: remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number it was like the dark ages until deal machine made skip tracing a thing of the past now with your deal machine plan you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost
2: Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much
0: at Airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turned to NerdWallet.
3: Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products.
0: Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash
3: As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Vicky Robin from Your Money or Your Life, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited you're here today.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here too.
3: We start every show off with uh, where does your journey with money begin? And I'm really, really curious how you grew up. You know, childhood, early adulthood, your whole money story. So, ready to go. Money story. Yeah, right. Okay.
1: It's interesting because every time I reflect on it, being 74 years old, I have a lot of stories, you know, so they're mutable. But when you said it just now, uh, (laughs) I thought of when I was like four years old and I had a little friend over, and my grandma gave me two, um, you know, covered cherry chocolates, one for me and one for my friend. And I figured out that I could have both as long as I lied. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I had an enterprising <laughs> mind from the get-go, um, I guess. So I grew up in in upper middle-class family. My parents were both professionals. My mother, especially, had grown up in the Depression, where her father lost everything except his uh, pretenses and his wife's pretenses. So they had a, a real skill at appearing wealthier than they were, you know, holding their heads up high in the middle of not having a lot. And then she married a doctor. But I think she always taught us that sort of poverty mentality or the depression mentality abuse it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Even though, you know, and, and just when I was a kid, it was clear she would take me to the bargain basement store. I would have a choice of one dress for school from the nice store or five dresses from the bargain basement store. You know, so I learned early on how to, you know, not how to stretch a dollar, but how to appear prosperous in the eyes of the world. It was, that's an interesting memory, but you know, my, my father was a doctor that was like a high class, you know, upper class. Profession and my family is Jewish, but my grandfather changed the name from Rabinowitz Rabinovich to Robin, and so we appeared to be Christian, which was lucky in North Shore, Long Island. So, I guess this story I'm telling right now is sort of like the this sort of mutability of class, and I'm aware of class right now because. A friend of mine and I talked about my appearance now, of having more than others, you know. And I don't, I don't see that. I see myself as still in that frame of figuring out how to put together a life that works for me on the resources that I have. So I guess I'm skillful, (laughs) but uh, so that's my upbringing. I went to Brown University. And um, it was paid for through an inheritance I got from my father. So that was all taken care of. So I, I came through and I was top of my high school class and da, 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 da. So I have a lot of privilege. You know, I have educational privilege. I have intellectual privilege. I have racial privilege. And I have that sort of background. I have a training in how to present yourself it's just it's interesting for me this morning to be reflecting on that because I just had that conversation yesterday, and i'm also I was just in the middle of a text with somebody on this issue of class in America, which is theoretically supposed to be a classless society, and yeah it's not and it's it's increasingly not, and so the people who are at the bottom who basically in the seventies you know the parents of the people I grew up with. They were all in the everything gets better and better in the United States. You know, people get more and more prosperous. People were able to have a middle class income working on a blue collar job. So it was a really different time. And I think a lot of times when people in this movement, the fire movement, talk about themselves, they really don't talk about social class. They don't talk about the milieu they grew up in. They talk as a, in an individualistic way, you know, like this is how I made it through, but they don't talk about the influences of psychological and social influences of class, at least in my perspective, or at least it's always a story of like, I broke through. <laughs> so all that privilege uh, has really undergirded my ability to make my life work, no matter what my means I was part of the back to the land. I was part of the, night. all I had to say is like in 1969, I put all my furniture out on the sidewalk, sold my car, bought a van, and, you know, started the great adventure that we all took back then. And um, so I spent a long time homesteading, philosophizing the meaning of life, analyzing what was wrong with the culture I grew up in, You know, it was really great (laughs) for that period of time. And at that time, what I learned was to use, you know, we had such limited means that we never threw money at any problem. We just like, if the car broke down, we learned how to break it, fix the car. (laughs) You know, and so I learned a lot. I learned to hunt. I was never the one that pulled the trigger, but to butcher and and can uh, meat. And we raised pig, we we raised animals. We had a half acre garden. We did those things. And it all seemed like the richest life I could imagine. And this morning I was thinking about why did that feel not like poverty when I was living below the poverty level? And it was because I was in a community that was dedicated to the same thing I was, you know. So my reference group was in the same situation I was and had the same spirit of adventure I had. And it wasn't until many years later, really, when Your Money, Your Life was published in 1992 and I went on the road where where I was interacting with people who had way more than I did. And it was like leaving a bubble of contentment and being in a world of where people thought nothing is saying, well, let's go out for drinks. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I'll have water. <laughs> You know, let's go for lunch. Uh, I'll have the soup. Why don't we just split the bill four ways? You know, <laughs> like, like existential crisis for a week. So you know, it's it's. Um, I'm just reflecting on this, and I guess it's it's appropriate for the podcast because it's what I'm talking about: the struggle to match your life with the lives of people around you, and it's because we're social animals. And rejection and banishment, rejection, uh, losing status—these are all like survival things for a social animal. So I bet you there's people who listen to your podcast for whom these psychological issues are uh, intense. Whether it's that you were born with a silver spoon and so you feel ashamed, or whether you're born, you know, with no spoon and you scrap your way up in life. So yeah, so that was my circumstance, and then. Yeah. And I also, uh, uh, the other thing that I did when I was younger is I uh, went to your, I lived in Europe for a year and a half and I went to school in Madrid college and I had a certain amount of money for a certain period of time. I doubled the period of time and spent the same amount of money. So I really learned how to be super frugal and do everything I wanted. Oh, I had a car and I really loved traveling to the hinterlands in Spain. And every weekend I would just get a Bag of oranges, a bunch of baguettes of bread, and fill my car so that you know with people, and then we would sleep in in nunneries. You know, we would like knock on the door, and for you know, like all, you know, like a dime, you get to like sleep in the hayloft. So you know, it's it's those sorts of things. It's those sorts of things that inform my life. This having a range, having flu, a class fluidity, and also stuff fluidity. So my, my financial independence journey really started when I teamed up with Joe and I'd met him fairly early in my life. And he explained to me how I could take the savings that I had, invest it in, at that time, Canadian bonds, dollar denominated, Canadian, uh, province of Ontario bonds that had 9% interest and that I could turn... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> and and Yeah, you're going to die at this one, you know, and then I had another bunch of money when my mother died and and that was, I got to invest that in 1981 at like 12 to 15% interest. So basically I would say there's a lot of luck involved, dumb luck involved in my story as well. I often think of myself as like the Forrest Gump of everything, you know, I like wandering into scenes that I don't belong in, but somehow or another, this seems to work.
0: Vicky, one question I had about all this is, you know, this circumstance that you described and how it was all relative to your so your circumstances. Many people, I think, were raised in a middle upper middle class lifestyle, but probably didn't go down the same route that you did in your in your twenties. What do you think your peers who you grew up with? How did they did their behavior differ from yours? Or oh my relationship God, yes. with money? No,
1: no, yeah, no. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> yeah. I mean, for years I avoided my high school reunion because. I was voted most likely to succeed in my high school class. And then if I'd gone to a reunion.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, did you or did you not write a book that sold more than uh, 100 a hundred copies? Yeah. What, what are we at now? Two million, five million? No,
1: no, 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 no. A million copies. Yeah, but only a million. Like, <laughs> there was about 30 years between graduating from college and that, and that feels accidental to me as well. I mean, it feels like the product of a focus on what matters most. I mean, for me, Your Money, or Life is a spiritual book. It's a spiritual book by, you know, presents as a money book, but it's really a spiritual book. It's about your attitude toward life and focusing on what matters most. And so we really had dedicated ourselves to growing spiritually. And so that didn't produce a very prosperous lifestyle, but it did produce your money or your life, which is not just about the math. I just did a a class on this where I I really wanted people who are fans of your money or your life to understand that it wasn't about the money; it was about the meaning, it was about the purpose, it was about building soul force in uh, bank accounts. So I think that that book shines with all that inner work that we've done for a long time. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I was like. People I graduated from high school with are doctors and lawyers, you know, accountants and hedge fund managers. And, you know, and some of them bumped into something in life and were bumped off of that. You know, not all of them, but I think it wasn't a chosen lifestyle.
3: Well, but I'm listening to you describe this amazing lifestyle where you are doing what you want to do. You chose to live on a homestead and maybe you're living, you know, below the poverty line, but you don't feel the poverty line because you're well fed, you have clothes, you're surrounded by people who are also doing all of the same things. You sound happy to me. I wonder how many of those doctors and lawyers and hedge fund managers are so excited, or do they wake up in the morning and they're like oh, I got to go to work again. I mean, maybe the lawyers are really excited to go be mean in the courtroom and maybe the doctors are super pumped about like saving a life, but they aren't allowed to go find their spiritual self because they're too busy trying to keep up with the Joneses and try to make the payments on the cars and you know all of that. So I read that, that you were voted most likely to succeed. I'm like, okay, check that box off. So I don't know, maybe it's a preaching to the choir thing, but it sounds like You get to spend your days doing whatever you want. And if medicine was your thing, now you have the opportunity to go and study that because money isn't an object. You don't have to worry about putting food on the table and, you know, paying your mortgage and all of that. So, yeah, no, I disagree with you. Sorry, respectfully disagree with you. You did become the most likely to succeed. You succeeded. You won life. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I'm still here. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's hope my luck (laughs) holds out for another 10 to 20 years. So, yeah. So, I mean, but just, just back to working with Joe, you know, it's like, I felt that he, he had something that other, you know, like I've never heard anybody talk about money like that. He talked about money. And so when people started to approach him about What do you know that I don't know? I mean, I was there when he was sitting, thinking about how he's going to explain what he did to a couple who wanted to find out. And he was thinking through, let's see, first I did this. Then I did that. There was no nine step program. He didn't follow a program. And he did all of this very reluctantly. He had no desire to be famous. Da, 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 da. That was also that was all sort of an interruption to his, his main intent in life. So he did that explanation to the couple. Then people would show up three couples in our living room or four people. And uh, we started doing the seminars because we were working with an organization that needed money. And so we thought, well, we could teach this and raise money. So really, until Joe died and really for several years after that, all of the money that we brought in was dedicated to uh, funding, mostly little groups (laughs) that were working toward a sustainable future. So that, that also is part of my history that until that whole, you know, the whole group of people, Joe died, the group of people unraveled and I set out on my own. That whole period of time, none of that money was mine. So people look at, you know, best-selling author, million copies, think, oh, <laughs> she she has a boodle of money. And now because I've saved and because your money, your life continues to be successful and we don't have the foundation anymore. I don't have the foundation. So the money comes into my pocket and I've turned it into paying cash for two houses. One I lived in with, with two rentals and then I had bought another rental. So I don't know if I'm a topic anymore. <laughs> so no, I think is the thing is that when i went on the road for your money, your life, that's when it became my means and the gap between my means and what other people had created stress for me because I had to figure out how from the circumstance I was coming from, I could look prosperous enough so that people wouldn't reject the message because the messenger looked like a hippie.
3: <laughs> oh, that's huh. an interesting point. <laughs> Yeah. There's because... some
0: foreshadowing to this too earlier. Yeah. Right? And some oh, yeah. of the themes going up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean about, you know, I was I was aware of where I was going to get to in the story from the beginning that I'm just thinking today about class issues. In a lot of ways you determine somebody's class is by the things they have. And I also was, you know, for me, writing the book and publicizing it and traveling and speaking, et cetera, that was all about lowering consumption in North America as an environmental issue because overconsumption and it was, became clear uh, to me in the late eighties that uh, consumerism was the biggest driver of basically, you know, then we were interested in the hole in the ozone, but we were pretty clear that we were heading toward breakdown someplace around the 2020s. I mean, the early people in the sustainability field were already mapping resource flows and consumption. And they, they said, if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to, our civilization is going to start breaking down around about now. And so I was trying to put, you know, as a little Dutch girl, you know, putting my finger in the di- I was trying to influence Americans to consume less, save more for the sake of the planet, for the sake of the critters, you know, and for the sake of the plants and for the sake of the healthy soils and for the sake of all that. So that's why I did all it. And it was fun. I mean, I learned a ton. So that was the challenge. And I, we knew that we were so radical that if we looked, if there was a hair out of place, you know, <laughs> that people could go like, oh, she looks ratty. I don't have to do what she's talking about. So it was uh, in service to a mission at that time. So yeah, I don't know, no, I've wandered all over the place. So there you go.
0: Well, so what were what were your general like relative means at that time, and how did you stretch it to pull off that appearance and relate to your target audience?
3: Well, here's the
1: deal. I mean, at that point, I was spending about eight hundred dollars a month, and I know that because I have accurate <laughs> to the penny accounts. So you know, it was about eight hundred dollars a month was what I was spending at that time. Joe was about five hundred. And so, how did I pull that off? Is that what you're asking?
0: Yeah. Well, what, what were some of the things you did to appear prosperous or relatable to your target audience with this work on that budget?
1: Well, one of the things just to say is that when you live in a group of people, that's one of the biggest strategies for lowering your expenses. Mm. Is you know, a resource shared is is a, an expense halved. So. I had plenty. I had more than enough. I shopped in thrift stores. You know, everything I had just about, except for, you know, underwear was was used. But I had good taste from being brought up by a mother who had really good taste. Yeah, I cleaned up. (laughs) I was just, I, I have to say I was fortunate, you know, and I think the good fortune was something that was installed inside of me that was not cowed Mm -hmm. by others that I could read a situation and figure out how to be in it in such a way that I could fit enough to be able to do the work I wanted to do. So I bought this really, what I thought was a really nice dress, this purple dress for the first book tour. And uh, so boom, there Joe and I are like within a few weeks on Oprah, you know, in my purple dress with these big shoulder pads and these little cinched in waist. And um, I saved that dress and I was on Oprah for a second time and I wore the dress as 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 a symbol of, you know, you don't have to buy something new for every time... Every wedding you go to, and then I saved the dress for maybe I was going to be on Oprah again <laughs> I never got on Oprah, <laughs> but yeah, it's stuff like that, you know it's like number one being able to costume I always think, I think it's all costuming, you know we used to call it clipboarding because you go into a circumstance you know, and you have your, your you know this little a day timer thing or whatever you know at that time we we had papers day timers so you have your little leather day timer that you got at the thrift store you know and you hold it in your arm in a very official way and somebody says something to you and you open up your day timer and you take a note and it's just like wow you know who's that what's she writing in her (laughs) date i don't know a lot of it you know a lot of i guess what i'm saying is that a lot of our money life is about appearances
3: Oh, sure. You want to appear as wealthy or wealthier as everybody else. So you fit in. And a lot of consumption is about overcoming the shame
1: of not having what other people have or being influenced by, you know, your new best friend is somebody in an ad. And you want to, you know, you want to have the body that person has, you want to have the couch they have, you want to have the motorcycle they have. A lot of our consumption is really about self-comparison and trying to get on the pony that other people seem to be riding. And so that's why, you know, since 1974, pretty much there were a set of policies in the early 70s that started to drive apart. You know, the middle class started like saying at the same level and the wealthy started accumulating more wealth. And so a lot of consumption has been people trying to bridge that gap because it appears that other people have what they don't. I learned this when I used to work in an agency that provided Christmas presents for people in poor communities who'd hit some hard times, you know, not that they were stuck there, but, you know, they were used to giving Christmas presents to their kids anyway. So we would go and we dressed up like little Santas and we would go and And deliver bags of of presents. And I was stunned by how nice everybody's houses were. They were like nicer than my house, you know, their furniture, their end tables, their everything was like, wait, 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 what is this about? And I found out that people were renting furniture at an incredible interest rate so that they could feel respectable. That what I was doing encouraging people to spend less was difficult for people in the bottom because they needed to spend more. They felt in order to hold their heads up to get, um, I honestly, folks, I don't know why this is the topic. I've never talked about this on any of my financial independence podcasts, but I think it's an important part of it because a lot of people end up in debt. You know, we joke about buying things they don't need to impress people they don't like. We joke about that, but it's actually really true. And so you have to start waking up and peeling off those layers, those false layers of status. And just start asking, and that's what your money, your life does. You start asking, well, who am I? Who am I in the middle of all this stuff and all this debt and all this, you know, lifestyle? Who am I? What do I really want? You know, when I was five, what did I think about life? So, yeah, I think that's an important part of the process. Please ask me another question. No, no, I I, no, I think
0: it's great. I think, I think it's fantastic. I think, I think that the it seems like there's two key things here, right? One, one you mentioned resource sharing, right? And that enables you to, if there's a, a trapping of the middle class that you want, but you're sharing your housing expense, you can so easily afford it and it's not going to break your budget if that becomes necessary. It's just contextually in, in terms of the framework that other people can apply to their lives. And then secondarily, you know, it's the fact that you, that this is, I think, the major thing inhibiting a large portion of the middle class where you want to appear prosperous to other people. And a lot of the questions, even in the Phi community is around how do I have this appearance of uh, how do I get this great value or, or get the same result as what other people are doing? But at, no cost or a fraction of the cost. It's why travel hacking, I think, is so popular within the FI community. It's a completely different experience to go and take that cruise that you've earned with travel reward points than it is to pay $1,000 in cash for it. So maybe there's some of that going on there as well.
1: There's a sense of pride and cleverness mm-hmm. in that sort of stealth cleverness that you get to have what other people have on half the cost or quarter or no cost. Yep. Yeah, that is a lot of the FIRE community is that cleverness, which I just explained it has been real for me.
5: Yeah. Well,
1: maybe
0: maybe another question about this would be, how have you seen this movement evolve over the last couple of years? Like, Are we seeing a growth in the FIRE community in the past 5-10 years? Or has it always been there and always been growing slowly? And we've just maybe noticed it because...
1: I'm oh, um, so number one, I don't know, you know, because I came into it. I stumbled into it a couple of years ago. I determined I wanted to update your money your life because I met some millennials who were in debt and disoriented and they'd never heard of your money or life. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll update it for this next generation, you know, leave it in better shape. Then I found it because a lot of the advice from earlier was like pre-smartphones, <laughs> you know it's like it was a different world back then and it wasn't until a month after I signed the contract that I discovered the reddit the financial independence reddit so at that point I think there was a couple hundred thousand people on it and I think now there's double that so it's kind of burst onto the scene in the last couple of years I take no credit for that I think a lot of it is Mr. Money Mustache and you know mad scientist a lot of it is that some of the main proponents have burst on the scene. They've been public. They've been interesting podcasting. Podcasting is, I don't know, it's like five years old maybe. And you know, before that, we did it differently. And so suddenly the information is flowing out and then anybody and his brother can start a, a website you know, and start blogging. Put up some, you know, ads someplace, you know, and do some affiliate codes and start to make money. So it's been not only a movement that has caught hold because of the value of it, but it's also a style of education that has caught hold because people realize they can make money from it. You know, so I think that's been part of the burgeoning thing is is that it's been a sort of new ecological niche out in the internet. And uh, so a lot of people have come to fill it, including, you know, my my dear friend, uh, Grant Sabatier, who's helped me a lot, who has millennial money, and he's um, his book about financial freedom. So he taught me a lot to talk millennial a lot. So I think the technology has promoted this explosion. And, you know, there's a new simplicity to it, whether it's, you know, Mr. Money Mustache's, you know, beautiful chart about if you save more, you know, you just pull, you're just sort of like block and tackle. You know? <laughs> you're just pulling your FI date closer to you. So, I mean, he has had a lot of influence, I think. There's always been somebody who comes along in every generation who just hits that sweet spot and suddenly they, they gain prominence and I think one book I read called "The Simple Life" by David Shai, really made a difference for me because he traced this impulse throughout American history. And really, every generation has a version of this. So it's frugality, simplicity, conscious living, you know, rural arts, back to the land. There's always about twenty percent of the American population that's interested in this. They're interested in a countercultural approach. And so I think what I see in the FIRE community, though, by and large, not critical of anybody, is that it it is about the math and the money. I mean, it really is about the math and the money. I do not see an intense spiritual dimension, a desire for life to be more meaningful, a desire to leave your job, not just to leave, but to be part of something that you long to be part of that you can 't because you have to work, so it 's been very appealing. I mean I know that Joe was an engineer, I see a lot of techies engineers in this movement, I find people relatively apolitical, you know just you know figuring out how what the system is and how to work it and how to get through it and how to have a life that they prefer, but don 't see the social political dimension of things that one of the things that's happening is that the middle class is stagnant. And so, you know, I tell people, you know, I mean, basically, I call us smart rats. You know, we're the smart ones that get off the ship. And, you know, you start to see really one of the basic tenets is be an owner of capital. It's the capitalists who actually... Are getting wealthier and the W 2 people are stagnant. So you start to figure out, okay, how can I be one of the capitalists? How can I own capital and live on passive income? Because that's the winning game. And so fire is sort of like an every man's capitalism, you know, how to win at the capitalist game. So that's what I noticed in this generation. In my generation, it was more spiritual growth you know like meaning purpose back to the land simplicity you know there was a one important books when your money your life came out was Dwayne Elgin's book Voluntary Simplicity and so a lot of what we did was a critique of affluence and a choice to live a life that was not you know retiring early but to step outside the more better more is better world and live in an enough is enough world, and learn the skills that basically our affluent lifestyle has eliminated. You know, <laughs> you know? it's like yeah. people don't even know how to cook anymore.
0: No, absolutely. I love what you just said there about how it's like it's a capitalist game, right? It's about the numbers, and perhaps that's why there's a lot of growth in this, is because some people appreciate that spirituality component and should. I think I'm with you on that. And some people don't. But a lot of the the content out there is not talking about what you do with it once you accumulate the capital and the passive income. It's just talking about how to do it. And I think that there's some really interesting implications down the line from that where you wonder, is the financial independence movement, is all the stuff we're talking about accelerating income inequality or wealth inequality? Or is it combating it when it allows the everyman to apply a very sophisticated level of intelligence on accumulating and then investing and harvesting the returns of capital. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there.
1: I think, you know, one of the things I've said to people that I've met in the FIRE community, you know, when I've been asked to do talks or podcasts, is that you know, there's sort of like an identity crisis. I call it like a, you know, an induced mid- midlife crisis, you know, what is it? what's it all for? You know, what's it all about Elfie? And so people scale the wall of fear and they pull the trigger and they, they get out and they are in a You know, the the uncomfortable part of freedom, they've lost their social circle, they've lost their time structuring, they've lost their ability to talk to the guy in the bar on Friday nights, you know, they've lost a lot of what makes us belong. And... For a while, there is a period of time where you sleep, you know, you pig out on Netflix, you know, you do the things, you know, you learn to play guitar, everybody talks about learning to play guitar, you know, or you go and you travel or you, you do, you you just like, you know, you optimize money and now let's optimize other things, you know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. let's optimize our bodies. Let's, you know, so, and then that I think wears out for a lot of people and what, I notice is that a lot of people who've been on the FI path, they have the experience we had where people notice that you know something that they don't and you start to be an educator. You start to share what you know in a lot of different ways. And some people, you know, they start their blog or some people, you know, they they volunteer in the senior center and they help people with taxes. You know, people start to realize I have something I can give because I've mastered something in this world. So But eventually, I think that then you start to realize there's more to life than any of this, and I don't know what it is. And so people start to, whether it's going back to school or volunteering, people start to explore what else is there in life. So it's a process, but since the fire community is so focused on the getting there, there's not, I'm starting to serve the people who have gotten out and are looking for something else. I don't know if that addressed your question, but
0: no, I, I think that's helpful. You know, on that same topic, how do you? You know, a lot of people we're starting to see are getting out of the game earlier before they meet any of the technical definitions of phi, like this four percent rule or these arbitrary numbers, and maybe they're doing something more, more similar to what you were doing, where you know, hey, there's some math to it, but it's about what I want to do with my life, and I'm going to get out of there. I wonder if there's a correlation between the amount of your nest egg and passive income and other types of assets that you have and your ability to go after that. Maybe it's not totally phi, but maybe there's a point earlier in the process where people can start making that shift. What do, you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of people. Number one, I've talked about the, the levels of financial independence and the first level for me is freeing your mind getting out of the you know like the competitive status game and realizing that there's a me inside all of this you know <laughs> all of this pretense there's a me inside the me inside wants something different from all this stuff so freeing your mind and being able to see how you're being manipulated to buy things is really important and there's plenty of people for whom that's the whole deal that's the whole deal. and so they they get their expenses under control because they want what they have, they don't want what they don't have and they know the difference. and then they go on to they get a masters in something else and they they retool for a profession that's more aligned with who they are. and then um, and then there's getting out of debt and i think the getting out of debt is you know if it only leads to getting out of debt and not not building it up again, that's such a liberation. You know, you can do so many things if you just do that. And then there is the, the people who have financial planners say six months of savings, six months of expenses in a liquid assets, liquid form. And that, you know, people go on the road with their family. People do the things, they already do the delayed pleasures at that point knowing that they could, you know, either apply their old profession to make some money or do it part time. Or I, I, there's one person who I know and probably tons more, you know, figure out like they want to be in, in nature and they volunteer, they live in national parks, you know, and they get a stipend and they do a few programs for, you know, the visitors. So basically it's like getting on top of just that clearing your mind, getting rid of your debt, having savings, and for a lot of people, you know, just like getting $100,000, I mean, that's like impossible in most people's minds. And $100,000 at 4% interest is not gonna be financial independence, but it frees you to reset your life. So I think there's many, many, many reset points along the way. I actually think retiring early, I have been challenging that idea more and more because I think what makes life worth living, one of the things is meaningful work you know applying yourself to something that that stretches your mind that uses your body that you yourself believe is important that you have deemed it important enough for you to spend your life on and that serves the human journey you know that serves a larger community because as i said we're social animals so i think work i think working i think the point should be financial independence, <laughs> I mean, like freeing your mind, freeing from debt and freeing your, yourself from one paycheck away from penury, and then rededicate yourself to something that's meaningful. <laughs> you know, yep. I've called it recently, financial independence, retire eventually. <laughs> love it.
3: I love that. No, no, I love that a lot because I think so many people hear about this. Oh, wait, I can quit my job. That's desirable for a lot of people because they don't love their job. I mean, who loves pushing the papers to the next person eight hours a day? That's not a lot of fun. I mean, for most people, some people might really love that. I had a boss that I really couldn't stand. Everything about her was like, she was a miserable person and she shared that with everybody. And I didn't want to work for her anymore. So I quit. And it wasn't about Never working again. It was about never working for her right. again, never having to work for her again. So I work at Bigger Pockets now because I love my job. I'm teaching people how to invest in real estate and, you know, teaching them about their finances. But so many people that I meet on this about fire are focusing on the RE part the, you know, oh, I can't wait till I quit my job. Well, what are you going to do when you quit? Right. Oh, I don't know then don't quit. If you don't know what you're going to do, you're going to be really bad at it. You're going to, you know, watch TV and sleep all the time and, you know, gain a lot of weight and you need to have a purpose and I love that you're retire eventually. Yeah. But now you don't have to work and make money. You just have to do something you love. The park ranger. Right. That was Carl's initial desire was to quit his job and then be a park ranger and now he's, you know, doing other things, but right. But you can be a park ranger eventually. That's the thing is that I guess if I'm
1: talking to you because I've been financially independent a long time, I have retooled my life again and again and again and again. I have been interested in many things. I've had a chance to just bust myself back to a buck private. I'm doing it now with uh, climate change. You know, I'm very, I want to make a contribution to this, what I consider a climate emergency. And so I'm hauling forward the skills and the projects that I've done before. And I'm in theory, I'm, if all goes well, I'm gonna go to the climate conference in Santiago Chile. But I don't, I don't fundamentally professionally have any right to do this. <laughs> but I have the freedom to learn and I have the freedom, I have the humility to. Not have to go with you know my entire brownie badge of badges, you know, my brownie sash. I have the freedom to go as somebody who is not professionally authorized, who is a learner, who cares deeply. And that always takes me into stuff that's interesting. I'm not an economist. I wrote a book about money. I'm not a financial planner or financial anything. But I cared. You know, I wrote a book about local food, you know, and I'm not a farmer. I've had a messy garden for years. I always have a messy garden. But I cared about provisioning for my community and for communities in general if the larger supply chains of our food system ever break down. So I just dove in and I learned everything. So basically, all I'm saying is one of the freedoms is the freedom. To have new interests and follow them, and new interests and follow them, and new interests and follow them. You know, it's like there is no one thing. I mean, maybe you travel for a year and then that bug is gone. And if your identity is I travel, then boom, you're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of that, you might find that you're in Nepal and you want to work in an orphanage. So you do orphanage for a while and then you become, you work in an organization that looks at the problem of poverty in the two thirds world. And then that's not it for you anymore. You can continually respond to the calling that comes from within and the calling that comes because you've encountered things. One of my favorite stories is Christie and Bryce, you know, and they, what's her book millionaire.
0: They were on one of the episodes of the podcast and they're traveling around Europe. Is that right?
1: Yeah, because they, yes. you know, they're traveling full time, but but uh, quit, like million, quit like a million. Like a million. Sorry, 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 Christy, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> but they bumped into some a librarian who told them that the books for kids were all about white kids, and or there were books for people of color, kids of color, but they couldn't find them in the library. So Christy and Bryce applied their tech skills. To a database for librarians so that they could say, okay, Asian, transgendered, you know, and then they would find books for kids who were like that. So you encounter needs and you realize, I have a lot of skills and I can help. So that's what I hope people will do.
0: I think it's a wonderful mission. It's like the point of this is like when you help people become financially free early in life or at least you know, mentally free early in life from this, they're going to go on and change the world in a positive way in countless ways that you can't predict, which exactly. I think is an incredible mission. Same thing that we're trying to do here, but everybody in the fire movement, I hope is trying to do with that.
1: Yeah, liberate life energy to serve in these very complex times, you know, where where we need people liberated from, the, from sort of the thrall of capitalism so that they can... Help as people sort of fall off the bottom or fall off the side, or that there's parts of life that are not being attended to because we're all so busy. Yeah, so I agree.
5: We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
2: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, Mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
3: Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split So combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's monarchmone com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial.
0: Yeah, I have a question about your levels of that you were talking about, where you free your mind, get out of debt, have some savings and maybe target $100,000 or some mental break point on that journey. That was no issue for me, right? Because I started this right out of college and lived like I was in college, continued doing that. And you know, I've I've never been in a position basically, except for the first couple of weeks at my job where I felt that I was going to be completely constrained by that. But I think someone who's purchased a middle-class lifestyle, who has a nice home with a big mortgage, who has a, a car with car debt on it, who has a lot of money in their 401k maybe, but very little cash liquidity in their bank account. Maybe that is going to be a more difficult challenge for them. Do you have a different set of advice or is it the same thing? Just it's going to be a little harder to free your mind and figure your way out of that situation.
1: I don't think it's hard. I think, I think you can wake up in any circumstance. <laughs> you know, The Buddha woke up being a prince in a castle. You can wake up in any circumstance. That can be quick. You can just like one morning you wake up and you look around at your whole fiefdom and you go like this means nothing to me. This is not yeah. who I am. I stumbled into a path and it's wrong. I got into the wrong machine. I got on the wrong, the wrong horse on the merry-go-round. That's easy. And there's grief upon awakening, no matter what your means, whatever your life circumstances, because when you wake up, you realize, okay. I have to start backpedaling out of this and I have to do it intelligently. I mean, I can throw caution to the wind and I could sell my house in a sinking market and I you know, I could just put, you know, frying pan to fire. But you start to see what you can do. Maybe you get rid of your car and you realize I could actually buy a beater, you know, with a really good engine but no class. I mean, you start to look at where you've invested yourself in sort of looking good. <laughs> So I think you can backpedal out of that. Now, I mean, a lot of people with that kind of house and that kind of lifestyle are not going to look at taking in borders, you know, or or subdividing their house to have a mother-in-law. But that's something you could do. You could, as I say, a resource shared is a cost halved. I mean, there are people I know who have a life like that who have moved out of their house into a motorhome and rented the house so i mean that's another way you say okay i have these assets i have these debts how can i deploy the assets in such a way that they actually pay off my debt and so i think the other part of this which doesn't have anything to do with your means is your cleverness and your motivation to clear things up if you look at your circumstance and you think ugh but you really don't have the guts to do anything different because your partner doesn't want it, your parents will be disappointed because you've got the golden handcuffs on you, whatever. If you don't have the depth of motivation, you're never going to do anything. But if you do, you will get creative and you will see how I can turn what I have into assets. And it's like my house, you know, having put two mother-in-law apartments on the ground floor of my house, that's the sort of thing that's totally possible once you wake up.
0: So I, I did want to ask about that because, you know, Bigger Pockets, we do have a, a heavy lean towards real estate investing in our community. Could you tell us a little bit about your current housing situation and how you're using real estate?
1: Yeah. So I live in a community where just the basic dynamics of the economy are sort of ruining the... Not ruining, that's, that would be an extreme thing, but challenging our community because working class people increasingly can't afford to live here. People have houses and they've turned them into Airbnbs. So a lot of working class people are being kicked out of their houses, kicked out of the mother-in-law apartment so that people can make more money. And I'm not critiquing that. I'm just saying that that's happened and it's a free market economy. And so people have the right to do that. You can do whatever you want with your, your possessions pretty much. So that's not okay with me. It's not okay with me to, I mean, the town I live in, because of economics, is becoming almost like a gated elder community, you know, because people with resources have been able to come in and buy up the real estate. So I've been very dedicated to affordable housing, basically, because the people I love don't have the means to stay here. I mean, people are leaving. People who are essential to my community are leaving because they can't afford it. So that's part of my motivation of putting in this mother-in-law apartment. It was to provide affordable housing to people and very often the people who've rented it. And then I turned my garage into an apartment because I liked having that mother-in-law so much that you know, I just say, okay, I've got a resource and how do I share it? How do I share it in a way that still works for my needs, which is for a lot of privacy and autonomy? So I rent them. Uh, you know, below probably market value rent, I get income and people in the community get a place to live. And very often my little places are people who either are new to the community or young people with, you know, service jobs or you know, people, you know, somebody who's in a divorce and they, they they're transitioning. So I usually have, sometimes I have people for a couple of years, but usually it's just, you know, the six months to a year getting their footing in life again. So I love doing that for the dual reason that it provides some income and also it provides a service. And so also looking at this, I had money in like socially responsible investments, you know, in market products. And I wanted to be one, a one woman reversing the lack of rentals. I mean, rentals are scarce as hen's teeth. So anyway, I kept my eye out to buy a property that was in decent enough shape and that I could rent for a decent rental. And I found one last April. Boom, it went on the market on Sunday. Monday morning, I had a, an offer on it because I've been looking at the market and I knew that this house was a good one. So fix things up. Now I have a renter in there. So it's a dual thing. It's like, I like real estate because it's real, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, there's not some market conditions and not some stock market condition. And even, you know, I mean, I, I realize even if things tank, I've got a tradable resource. And even if money tanks, I've got a community resource that's tradable. So, I, you know, as I told you, early in life I lived very, you know, very close to the ground. And that feels good to me. I don't like to ride a high horse. I like to ride the pony where your feet are almost dragging, you know. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. No, I I love it. I mean, I I love the fact that you're it's first an intrinsic motivation, a desire to help the community. And then it makes sense financially. And then third, you operate and are achieving that and it's helping your lifestyle, your your community goals, it's your, your val- supporting your values. I think that's wonderful. Right.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it that feels really, really good to me. And I also involved in a network. This model has been used in other communities, a network of people with wealth who want to bring a percentage of their wealth into the prosperity of our community. And so we call it Whidbey Island Local Lending. And so people with business ideas will present them to the network and people in the network who want to invest can invest. Usually it's loans. And so there's about $2 million that have been loaned into our community through this network. And I'm actually basically carrying two mortgages further right now, you know, for people, one, a farmer and one, a single mom. So that feels good because that's, you know, everything for me is about community and yeah, I've supported farmers. I supported local food restaurants. I supported the pet store where I buy my cat litter, and so it, my money and it's it, my return is basically my net return is as good as anybody on the buyer, you know index fund. Mm-hmm. So, I'm investing in my community, in the businesses, in the real estate, and that all everything, every, all of my investments strengthen the weave of my community, which actually for me is a currency. Because the more I support the people around me, the more there's a sense of belonging that the fabric is strong. And if I need something, the fabric is there for me too. So, you know, the money economy doesn't do that for you. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't love you. Your investments don't love you. They won't come and bring you flowers when you're in the hospital. That, you know, if you invest yourself in the money economy, all you're doing is participating in a fairly spiritually desiccated environment.
0: No, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's, it's something that people are going to have to work in order to gain access to is the type of investing that you're doing, but it's probably far more rewarding. It may be, you may have lower risk investing in things that you know, people you know, businesses you understand, real property that's local to you, that kind of stuff. And you may get better returns and you may do so in a socially responsible manner. So I, I think it's, it's fantastic and, and wonderful there.
1: Yeah, one more thing I'll say is that there was a 16-unit a apartment complex, four fourplexes, that was for sale right in the middle of my town. And um, there's a bunch of us who got together who basically we did low-interest loans, uh, bridge loans, two-year bridge loans to a group of people who were willing to do the the conversion of this into a condo community. And they had They put solar panels on the roof and they built a common house. Yeah, so through that bridge loan where everybody who did the loan charged 2% interest for two years and we were able to create a uh, 16-unit condo complex that has high community values. So, I mean, it's not just, just small projects, small individual projects, but there's sometimes people get together and you can transform something in your community you could take something that's run down and you could form a group that wants to make it into you know a hostel for travelers and you can do that you know it's just you change your mind about things
0: love it well mindy should we transition to the famous four
3: yeah vicky is there anything else you want to say before we get to the famous four <laughs> That's a good question. And I
1: really think in this circumstance, it's been pretty freewheeling and you've been pretty receptive. So i probably said more than I should.
0: <laughs> oh, no, it's been wonderful. It's been awesome. I
3: don't agree at all. Whoa, Mindy disagrees with Vicki on every turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I could happily talk to you for another four hours. Thank you this has been wonderful. And you know, everything you're saying, I'm hearing, I'm understanding, I'm thinking exactly the same thing as you, you know, it's not about the retirement. It's not about focusing on that one thing and and the community, when you find a community that you fit into when you haven't fit in, I mean, we have the same mom, you and I do. And, you know, I have a lot of the same experiences that you do. Although I would have given my friend the two chocolate covered cherries. Cause I don't like cherries. Um, <laughs> but I'm hearing you saying all these things. And, you know, when you find a community that you fit into, it's just like, ah, it's so wonderful. You don't have to like, feel like the big weirdo all the time. And, yeah, you know, I, I love that you're building a community where you are with what you want to do. And that's just, that's fantastic.
1: I will say one thing, just how you said it is like, I have joined a community. I didn't form it i'm contributing to a community of place that was here before me will be here after me and that feels very comforting to to be part of something that's larger than yourself that you're not always having to lift up through your own life energy so that's just the one
3: correction okay well i i I will stand corrected okay (laughs) Okay, it is now time for the famous four questions. These are the same five questions that we ask of all of our guests, or four question and one command. Uh, Vicky, are you ready? I am ready. What is your favorite finance book? Yeah, so
1: there's a lot of people that I adore whose books I'm not going to talk about. What came to mind when I heard that question was a book called The Resilient Investor by Michael Kramer and Hal Brill. And one other, I'm sorry, I can't think of the other. But anyway, it's a framework for investing. It's a framework for understanding that not all currency is money and that you can invest yourself in, they have like a nine square format where you see where you you know all the different things you can invest yourself in to increase your sense of well-being and wealth. So the resilient investor by Michael Kramer.
0: Awesome. I have not heard of that, but I'll have to check that out. That sounds very unique, and interesting.
3: Yeah, I've never heard of that book either. That's why I said it.
0: There we go. Well, what what do you consider to be your biggest money mistake?
1: Okay, my first loan in this lending network, I had no idea how to do loans. Once again, I was a buck private and trying to just do good in the world. And a woman came in with this idea of doing a bakery. And she had a a court, she, she reported having a resume that was able to do this I didn't know how to read a business plan. Anyway, I loaned her $5,000 to get her bakery started. And I was so excited to be part of it. And uh, it turned out several years later that she borrowed the same $5,000 from a lot of people in the community and gave them the same equipment as collateral that she gave to me.
4: Mm.
1: And that she kept borrowing and borrowing. And that's how she paid her staff. She never had any profit. And eventually when up against the wall, she left. Just bugged out of town, so adios that. But so I'm better at doing it now, and you know I use my heart and head.
0: Fair enough. I think there's there's a lot of lessons there to learn if you're interested in getting into this kind of private sector investing and lending.
1: Right.
3: Yeah, I want to point out. She Vicky said she didn't know how to read a business plan. I'm assuming you know how to read a business plan now. I do better. I know how to write one as well as reading one. So yeah, I've learned enough
1: to be able to do a good job at at local investing. And I have a lot of money in my community now, a lot of my personal money in the community.
3: It's wonderful. Uh, What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Well, step one of your money, your life. Usually
1: I say, oh, just start keeping track of your money. But step one is to do a balance sheet. And I think if you're trying to get oriented and you're disoriented in your personal finances, being able to look in a no shame, no blame way at your current position, being able to stomach that, being able to look at, oh, I've brought in like $2 million in my life and now I'm $10,000 in debt and I have no idea where the $2 million went. You know That confrontation with the results of your financial behavior in the past If you can stomach it, and we say in Your Money, Your Life, no shame, no blame. If you can just look at that and accept, yeah, right, that's what I did. I made $2 million. Boom. Next time I do that, I'm keeping it, you know? So so it's very motivating. And I also, sort of the other side of that is gratitude, acceptance and gratitude. You know, if you look around at what you have and you're just very grateful for it rather than Rejecting it because you made a mistake, or rejecting it because it's not as good as other people's—you just like walk in gratitude. It's like everything you have. You only have three forks. Wow, I have three forks. You just turn that everything. So the more gratitude you can legitimately feel for the blessings in your life, the better foundation you have to get your finances together.
0: Awesome. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? The most difficult child question of the famous sport. Yeah.
1: So, so my humor, I'm an improv actress. You know, I do improvisational theater. So, my humor is all situational, it's all playing off of other people's offers. So, I have no jokes.
3: <laughs> That's okay. Dollar Revolution tagged Scott and I on Twitter with Eddie Elfbein, who posted a joke about Star Wars. Did you know Wookiee meat is edible? No. Yes, but it's a little chewy. Uh-oh.
1: Uh-oh.
0: Uh-oh.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh. God. <laughs> that, was, that
0: was a Wookiee groan. All right. Where can people find out more about you, Vicky?
1: Well, yeah, yourmoneyyourlife.com is your Money Your Life website. And uh, vickirobin.com is my own personal website where I'm blogging on social issues pretty much. And com is is like the one-stop shopping for everything associated. And also there's the Your Money, Your Life community on Facebook that is really active. And I appreciate it. And I go in and I like people and I learn things. So I recommend joining that community.
3: I didn't know you had a community on Facebook. I have to go check that out. And all of these links will be available in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow ninety eight. Nikki Robin, this was fabulous. I'm I think I did a pretty good job of not fangirling all over you today, but it was it was internal, I swear. <laughs> this has been an honor speaking to you. I'm so excited and you just made my whole day. Thank you. Yes,
0: this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for for coming on and sharing everything.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me. I've said things I never said before in this context. Yeah, I think it was, I think I was keying off your 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 sort of subtle fangirl thing. But I think these issues are are not spoken about, you know, the class, the envy, the um status, the getting roped in, what gets you roped in to a way of life that makes no sense to you. And then how do you step back out of it? I think that's super important.
3: Yeah, you're right. Nobody's talking about this and I think that it's one thing to hear about it and think, oh, this is really great. But then, yeah, you need to figure out your why and figure out how to fix all the things that you've done. I don't want to say done wrong, but done, you know, unconsciously not true to yourself. Unconsciously. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, this was wonderful. Vicki, thank you so much. Yeah. And, uh, and we hat. will talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye, Kitty. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you. All right. That was Vicki Robin from Your Money or Your Life. Mindy, what'd you think?
3: Eh, you know. Oh my <laughs> God. I can't like contain my joy. My whole body is just bubbling up with excitement. That was fantastic. I love her mindset. Like she's just, she gets it. She's got it. She understands what life is all about. And I love that she's Building her community. I love that she's working on things that don't necessarily bring her a ton of money because she doesn't have to have that anymore. She still makes money, but she's not like that's not her focus. And, you know, taking that away from your forefront of your mind is just really freeing. The comment I absolutely agreed with everything that she was saying, but, you know, I disagreed with her a lot in the episode. You know, she's like, oh, I was voted your most successful or most likely to succeed. Yeah, you hit that you hit that nail right on the head. You're uber successful. You're Vicki Robin, <laughs> you know, but so hey, I you, felt like I disagreed with her all the time, but I didn't. I was like, I, oh, I just, I can't, I got to stop rambling. Scott, what did you think?
0: You, you get the sense, you get the sense that with like, I don't know if this is too far, but like the founding fathers, right? Like these guys, yes. these guys who started America, like, like oh. and got our country going, you know, and, and set up our government. And these guys, a lot of them you know, if you look back, we're financially independent early in life. They kind of figured out this that hey, this like here's a way to set up my business. You know, like Ben Franklin's printing shop, get a partner to run it and split the income, whatever. I got passive income. Ben Franklin was a house hacker, I believe, as well. And you know, now then they go and pursue a wide variety of interests that go across a large degree of disciplines. And that I think is really something that excites, it excites me about what Vicky has done with her life. Is she's really been able to be like, eh, money. Yeah, it's like pretty basic math. Like here's how to get by on, on very little. I don't really need that much. And here's how to create passive income and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to go and pursue impactful matters with my life one after the other the whole way through. And I just think that's such an appealing and interesting way to appeal to things. And I think that's one of the things she also said. There's a warning in there. If you picked it up where if you, if you make your identity about what you're doing on the path to fire, like, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to be a renowned world traveler. And then you're like, okay, year after, you're into that. You're like, I don't want to travel anymore. Well, you're, you're in trouble. So understand that fire is really about the ability to reinvent yourself multiple times in multiple interests. There's just a lot of really great stuff that came out of that show.
3: Yes. Now that you're at the end of it, go back and listen to it again. Uh, yeah, I, I've already rambled. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Discussion thoroughly. I would like to give a shout out to the Mad Scientist for introducing me to Vicky, because that is how we got her on the show. And this is going to be a very good episode that will resonate for a long time. Scott, I was so excited with Vicky's comments, I didn't even look up a goodbye. Clever. Oh, let's use Vicky's way. Clever. Let's we'll do
0: a Chewbacca goodbye.
3: Say goodbye. Uh,
0: From episode 98 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Got Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench, and we're going (laughs) to (laughs) say.